0: Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. It's a great day once again to be here to worship Him this morning. Let's uh, go before Him in prayer. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your love and Your grace. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You that while we were lost and while we were dead in sin, God, that You rescued us. That while we were yet sinners... You sent Your Son to die on the cross for us. God, that You rescued us from sin and death. And God, that You have given us many promises, including the promise of eternal life, the promise of, a re- of rescue with You in heaven. We thank You for that. We pray and ask that we would keep that in mind as we look to Your Word this morning and as we lift up Your name in praise. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So my original plan was to begin the book of Ephesians today. However, as Proverbs 19.9 says, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So, while Lord willing, we will be looking at the book of Ephesians, it will not be today. Instead, what we're going to do is, for today's text, I want to look at Romans 12, uh, verses 3-13, through 13, or actually really verses 1-13. 13, a text that most of us are probably pretty familiar with. The reason for the change is because of my schedule, the preaching schedule and my schedule, and I felt like if I began Ephesians, next week we wouldn't be able to tackle the next piece of Ephesians, and I didn't want to break it up. So I decided to slide Romans 12 in here, and then we'll be able to start next week with Ephesians and work our way through Ephesians without uh, breaking up the weeks in between at the beginning section of Ephesians, which deals with some pretty Heavy stuff. So in preparation for our study through Ephesians, here's what I would encourage you to do. Read through the book of Ephesians every day until we're done working our way through the book of Ephesians. That just reading six chapters is pretty easy to read through. Just reading through the book of Ephesians again and again and again breeds that familiarity with the text. And familiarity with God's Word is a good thing. So I'd encourage you to do that, and then as you do so, think about the promises of God that you see in that book. It's very encouraging, and it's interesting to see, it'll be very interesting to see as we work through that book what God does in and through the ministry here at Harmony Bible Church. So I'm excited. But before that, we need to be excited about Romans 12 and what Romans 12 has to say. As I mentioned, this is very a very familiar text However, I believe this text is fundamental in understanding how we as Christians live day to day. You see, there's this danger that we gather on Sunday morning, and Sunday morning just becomes this Bible study. It's this thing we do, we get together, we learn new cool things from the Bible, and then we go home. That's not at all the point of Sunday morning. The point of Sunday morning is to come together, to worship, to lift up the name of the Lord, to reflect on His goodness, to sing His praise, to reflect on His Word, to be changed by His Word, and then continue in worship Monday through Saturday. Worship is not something we do just on Sunday morning, but it's living lives that show that He is glorious, and that He is worthy of our praise, and we do that day in and day out. So it is my hope, my prayer, that this text encourages us to live out the truths of Scripture as a body and individually. So I decided to title this message, Um, Our responsibility to the church. Our responsibility to the church. And I've actually preached through this text before. But I feel like this text is so important because it's meant to keep us on course as far as what we do as a church. So it's our responsibility to the church. However, I don't want you to misunderstand what I mean by that. When I talk about our responsibility to the church, I don't mean to the structure, the organization that is Harmony Bible Church. I'm not referring to the fact that you should become a member of Harmony Bible Church or that you should serve in some particular capacity like a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a small group leader. And neither am I referring to the fact that you should support the ministry financially. However, I do believe that you should do all of those things. When I talk about our responsibility to the church, I'm talking about our responsibility to the people. You see, Harmony Bible Church is a who, not a what. That's why I always try to say, Welcome to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. Try to be purposeful in that. That we understand that this is a gathering of people, not an entity, not a business. You don't go to Hannaford, you go to Hannaford, you don't go to church in the same sense. That we gather together as a church, regardless of location that if this building was destroyed tomorrow and we had to meet at the local VFW or the fire station or the schoolhouse, we would still be Harmony Bible Church. So becoming a member, teaching Sunday school, being an usher, giving, and whatever else, may be in some way, ways in which we live out our responsibility to the church, but those things are not an end in and of themselves. They're a means to an end. In other words, the goal is not simply to get us plugged into some type of Christian service within the church, to find our place within an organizational structure, but instead to see us truly living out our responsibility to love and care for Christ's bride, that is the church, God's people. So without further delay, all of that's introduction. Without further delay, let's look at our text this a.m. Turn with me to Romans 12 and let's look at verses 1 through 13. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in His serving, or He who teaches in His teaching, or He who exhorts in His exhortation, He who gives with liberality, who he, he who leads with diligence, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So the book of Romans is 16 chapters long. And much like the book of Ephesians, you can divide it into two sections. The first part is all about the Gospel. And then the second part is all about the implications of the Gospel. The way we are to live in light of the Gospel. So often Paul does this. Here's the Gospel. And he says again and again and again. He lays this foundation and then says, now here's how you are to live. That if we try to live... The latter part of Romans verses, uh, chapters 12 through 16 without understanding chapters 1 through 11, we won't be able to do it. And in the same way, if we try to live out Ephesians 4 through 6 without understanding Ephesians 1 through 3, we won't be able to do it. You see, the Bible is not an instruction manual for what we must do so much as it is a book about what God has done. It's about what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the way we live in light of that. So he spends the first 11 chapters of Romans talking about what God has done, the power of the Gospel. And then in chapter 12, there's this hinge, if you will, where he begins to focus on how we live in light of that. So it's important for us to remember as we look at this text that these instructions are not requirements to be met in order to have peace with God. That instead, these things can only be realized as a response to, as a result of the peace we already have with God through Jesus Christ. In other words, God sent His Son. Though we were sinners, He sent His Son into the world to die on the cross for our sin. He was raised on that third day. He has promised us heaven. And that we can be forgiven through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That we can be forgiven for our sin that he took the penalty that we rightly deserved, then that changes the way we live. So in verses one through two one and two, Paul in chap- chapter twelve he talks about how we are not called to live for ourselves but live for the Lord and then in verses three through eight he tells us that it's essential that we humble ourselves. He says in verse 3, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. That is, humble yourselves. Recognize, and he goes on to say, you need to recognize your need for other believers to be involved in your lives. You know, in some sense, I I've never thought I'd ever say this from the pulpit, in some sense, Hillary Clinton was right. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. She said it takes a village, and she wrote a book called It Takes a Village. And in some sense, that's right. The village is not the village that she imagined. It's It's not our government, but instead it's our churches, that you can't live an effective Christian life without the body of Christ. You can't do it. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. That God called you to Himself and He called you to a family. And we're to live out our Christian lives in relation to each other. The Apostle Paul demonstrates this here in Romans 12 and demonstrates this fact that we're not meant to go it alone by comparing the church to a body. He says, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. What Paul says here is amazing. He says, just like our physical bodies have many parts, and all the parts have different functions, so it is with the church. In other words, just like a human body has arms and legs and ears and eyes, and all those body parts have a function, so each member of the church has its own function, and each part is knitted together in one body. Some people are legs, and some people are mouths, and some people are hands. And we don't want to take this analogy too far, right, for you to say, what part of the body am I specifically? Am I a finger, or am I a toe, or am I... Right, that's not the point. The point is that each person is unique and has been gifted differently and gifted specifically for this body, but I also want to emphasize that the analogy and the language that Paul uses here goes far beyond just saying that it's, that we're necessary members of an organization. This isn't just we're necessary members of some organization. He doesn't use a business organization as an example, as an analogy for the church. Because while there are some parallels, the business organization falls short, very short, of the way individual members relate to one another in the church. I spent a brief amount of time working in corporate America, something I hope to never do again, right? So I, and corporate America or corporate life is nothing like body life, life in the local church and the way life in the local church should be. Notice that Paul says, Romans 12, 5, he says, we who are many are one, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, That we're just not part of something bigger, but others are part of us as well. That there's this interconnectedness. And this interconnectedness is Harmony Bible Church. We're members of one another. That's why he uses the analogy of a body. I've read this quote before, but I'm going to read it again. John Piper does an excellent job explaining this interconnectedness, this idea of being members of one another. He says this, You can see the significance of this if you just picture what would happen if I got shot in the left shoulder. My right hand would immediately and instinctively cover and reach for my left shoulder, just as immediately as if my hand itself felt the pain. The members of my body are members of each other because they are so much a part of each other's pain and pleasure. He goes on and says, If I kick the coffee table with full force with my little toe in the dark while trying to shut the windows in the rain, my hands and my legs and my eyes all join in the reaction. Right? If you have small kids and you ever stepped on a Lego, you know exactly what that is. Right? Like Every muscle in your body feels the pain. That's what church life is supposed to be like. It's an excellent picture of what it means to be members of one another. There's a sense that we're so connected, we should be so connected and concerned with each other, that we quickly and readily and naturally care for each other as we would care for ourselves. And I pray that that becomes the reality here at Harmony Bible Church. I pray that that becomes the reality. And I know it's very tempting in situations like this, or even messages like this, to think, exactly, and I haven't had that happen. Others haven't lived out this to me. They haven't reached out to me. They haven't cared for me in my time of need. And I want us to focus less on what we get and more on what we give. That there's this natural tendency, even in a message like this, to think, oh, the church hasn't done this. When instead we should be asking ourselves, I am the church. Have I done this? Have I cared for others in this way? That when others are in pain, do I feel their pain? Do I reach and cover them in their pain? So Paul remarks on the reality of body life. That in Christ we're brought together in one body. And now in verses 6-8, through Paul speaks of the importance of using the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of the body as a whole. I I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about spiritual gifts. I think there's a place for that. But actually, I think the Scripture actually speaks less I think we sometimes get preoccupied with what are my gifts. And and the Scripture speaks less to discovering our gifts than it does to using our gifts. Yes, we need to discover our gifts, but sometimes you just need to step out and serve. You just need to step out and be used of the Lord. And God will guide you in what your gifts are. And it will be affirmed by other believers. So I want to focus on Paul's main point. And his main point is, what he's saying in verses six through eight is by God's grace you've been gifted, so use those gifts for the blessing of the body of Christ. Use the gifts that God has given you and use them to bless His body. I love the new, the way the New Living Translation communicates this verse or these verses six through eight. It says this: In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy. Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving, serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gifts, your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly see, the instruction here is, God has given you gifts, so use those gifts. Just as God has blessed you richly, use them. Use those riches. And as we begin next week to look at Ephesians, we will see that a lot of what Ephesians is about is about how God has blessed us richly, and yet we live in Poverty. God has given us such riches in Christ, and yet we don't live in light of those riches. And Paul is saying the same thing here in Romans. God has blessed you richly with these gifts, so use these gifts for His glory and for the good of the church. So Paul has said, commit your life to the Lord. Be a living sacrifice, and recognize your need for the church and the church's need for you. Live in community, embody life. And now in verse 9, Paul instructs us to live out these commands in genuine Christian love. He says, recognize your need, and commit your, your, your need for the church, and the church's need for you, and commit yourself to the Lord, and do this in genuine Christian love. Verse 9, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. The word for love here is agape, and it means more than just warm feelings, right? It's a commitment to place someone's interests above your own, It's sacrificial love. It involves holding someone in high regard. It's the same word that Jesus used in John 13:34 through35 when he said, "A new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another." By, all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love, this kind of love, this agape love, this sacrificial love, like I loved you. If you have this kind of love for one another, people will know you are my disciples. People will not know that you are a disciple of Christ if you have warm, fuzzy feelings for somebody in the church. If the depth of your affection for the church is merely warm, fuzzy feelings then the world won't know that you're Jesus' disciples. Jesus didn't love the church because the church was lovable. He didn't love the church because the church could be easily be cuddled. Instead, Jesus loved the church when it involved sacrifice, the laying down of his life for the church. Jesus says, All men will know you are my disciples if you have that kind of love for one another. Something I don't see lived out in the church, folks. And I don't live it out. As well as I should. So, this isn't me pointing to you. This is me saying, I need to further sacrifice. I need to live in such a way that I'm showing the love of Christ. And when I do that, then people will know that we are His disciples. Paul says that our love must be without hypocrisy. The term hypocrisy carries the idea of acting or pretense. Therefore, this verse means that our love should be genuine, it should be sincere. The NLT, once again, I love the way they translate this verse. It says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And he goes on and says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. He's saying that that's what genuine love does. Genuine love hates evil and it loves good. It clings tightly, it holds firmly to that which is good. It rejects evil and helps others grow in godliness. In other words, don't just pretend to love someone Love them when it's hard and love them in a way that you hate evil and you love good and you want to see good in their lives. You want to help them grow in godliness. I think oftentimes the reason we don't want to help others grow in godliness is we don't love other people. We love ourselves. We love friendships. We love warm affection. We love to be thought highly of. Our fear of man is way bigger than our love for our fellow man, oftentimes. That oftentimes, we don't want to help them fight evil. We don't want to help them grow in holiness, because we know that that may cost us something. Genuine love abhors evil and clings to what is good. This, folks, is our responsibility to the church. To love her, to help her pursue holiness... That's our responsibility to the Bride of Christ. Right? To love her and help her pursue holiness. So the question is, how do we do this? So I'm going to ask this question early. So how do we, as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately, specifically apply all of this to our lives? How do we take this call... To love the church, help the church pursue holiness, lay down our lives, see that we're interconnected, live that interconnectedness out, and help the church grow in holiness. How do we really do that? Well, I'd love to tell you I have this five-step plan. We need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this, and if we do these things, everything's going to magically happen. That stuff, if you want that stuff, I can give you a CBD catalog, a Christian book distributors catalog, and you can read all kinds of that stuff. There's, There's so much of it out there. Five effective ways for growing a church. Five effective ways for making your people more holy. doesn't work that way, folks. It doesn't work that way at all. And I'm telling you, those things do sometimes work for a period and for a season. But what changes people's lives is faithfulness to the Word of God. Faithfulness to God and faithfulness to His Word. And then love. Genuine love. So the way we demonstrate this love we should look to Scripture to see ways in which we can demonstrate this kind of love for one another. Love to help the Bride of Christ grow in holiness. And this can only be done, by the way, folks, with a proper understanding of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to go back to where we started and say, if we don't understand Romans 1-11, through 11, we can't live out Romans 12. The Romans 1-11 through 11 is all about what God has done for us. And as we remember what God has done for us, I believe... Wholeheartedly, that these 10 things that we're going to look at, because there are 10 practical instructions, but these 10 things are things from the Word. They're 10 commands from Scripture that can only be done as we remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, what follows in verses 10 through 13 are these 10 practical instructions for demonstrating love. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. This is what we are called to do, folks. During the break between Sunday school and the church service, I decided that I would grab the church membership covenant been really convicted lately about the fact that the covenant's not in front of us enough. And I think we need to get somebody to paint it on a wall. You know, we need a a beautiful representation. We need a picture of the church covenant. We need to get... I'm looking at Tracy, right? So, we need to get it printed on the back of our bulletin. You need to put it on your bathroom mirror. Tattoo it on your forehead. Whatever you got to do, right? This is what it says. Having been led by the Spirit to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior... I do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into this covenant with one another as one body in Christ. I will therefore strive to, number one, walk lovingly together in Christian love by the aid of the Spirit. Number two, pray for my church and its fellow members and strive for its advancement, its prosperity, its spirituality to sustain its worship, its ordinances, its discipline and doctrines to make Christ first in my life. Number three, to contribute regularly and cheerfully to my church as God blesses. Number four, maintain daily devotions, training, and discipline in my personal life. Number five, seek the salvation of kindred and acquaintances to build them up in the faith. Number six, follow the Bible as my rule of faith and practice and live a life pleasing to the Lord. And number seven, love one another and aid each other in sickness and distress regardless of of personality differences, or level of Christian growth. That's what we committed to do. For those of you who are members of Harmony Bible Church, that's what we committed to do for one another. And for those of you who are not, you should be, right? Not that these things are in and of themselves the important... It's not that, that becoming a member is the end, but, but instead that becoming a member is the means by which you can do this. You say, yes, I want to do this. Yes, I want to live in this way. Is the word membership found in Scripture? Church membership. Romans 12 is all about being members of one another. right? Church membership, signing your name on a lot. those things, it's not in Scripture, but it's assumed that you're going to live out these things. And the way we live out these things, part of the way we live out these things is by saying, yes, I want to do this. Just like I said to my wife, yes, I want to live with you faithfully. Encourage you. I want to be a good, godly husband. Yes, I will. I do. I said that before men and before God. We should do the same in the church. To live out these things. Now these things are borrowed from Scripture in our covenant. So That was completely just random off the script, but I want to look at these ten things that Scripture calls us to do Practical instructions. Number one, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. What's really interesting about this command is that Paul's actually reiterating the same idea twice. And when we read it in English, we might not notice it. The term devoted is the Greek word philostorgos, which combines philos, meaning friend, and storge, which has the idea of love for family. So love your, love like friends and family So the term, and the term devoted conveys the idea of loving affection for those who are closely related. Then the word used for brotherly love, which is a different word than agape, is Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. Comes from the words phileo, which means tender affection, and adelphos, which means brother. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, have tender affection for each other like you do your closest friends or family. View the church as Christ's bride. The only way you will ever have that kind of affection for others in the church is if you recognize Christ's love for you. See, all these things flow out of the gospel. If you don't recognize that you were a stranger and Christ died for you, then it's going to be really hard to love others in the church. If you don't recognize that you were a wretched sinner and that Christ died for you, it's going to be hard to love other wretched sinners in the church. But when you realize those things, you can't help but love those whom Christ loved. Be devoted to one another. Have tender affection. Number two, he says, Give preference to one another in honor. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, it's all about placing more value on other people's needs than your own. That's why Paul, in the letter to the Philippians says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own interests but also for the interests of others. I don't know the number of times that I've gone to church, gone to Sunday morning, and i said, I didn't get much out of it. That doesn't seem to jive with Philippians. Don't merely look out for your own interests, but look for the interests of others. Instead, what I should be asking myself is, who did I pour into? What did I give? How was I used to help others? So in Philippians, Paul says, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. And he reminds them of the gospel. He says, like Christ, who didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He says, do this remembering what Christ has done for you. And here in Romans, he's reiterating the same idea. Don't look out for your own interest, but instead honor each other. Give preference to one another. Put one another's interest over and above your own. Thirdly, he says, do not lag behind in diligence. Don't lag behind in diligence. The ESV, I love the way it translates this, says, do not be slothful in zeal. The idea is that as believers, we are to persevere in living and caring for one another. Don't lag behind in diligence. I know there's going to be times when you you feel lazy, when you feel like not doing it. There'll be times when you say, oh, it's too much work. You don't understand how busy my life is. I, don't, I, I can't open my home. I can't answer the telephone. I can't serve in the church. You don't understand. And it's during those times that we are called to be diligent. It's during those times that we need to remember Hebrews 6, 10-12, which says, For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name. In having ministered and in still ministering to the saints, and we desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who inherits the true promises? Those who are diligent. Those who persevere. Those who don't grow weary. Those who are not sluggish. But those who run. I have prayed and I really believe it. Like, I would love to die preaching. Like, I know a pastor, um, knew a pastor, he's gone home to be with the Lord, who dropped dead after preaching a sermon. And I think, what an amazing way to die! Like, to die while running. We were talking during Sunday school about a couple of the guys are running. I have no desire to run. Like, I mean, Unless, I'm like, unless something's chasing me, I don't really want to run, right? But that's not the running that's being talked about here. It's being faithful to Christ. I do want to run in that way. And I want to run until the end. I don't want to grow old and, and rusty. I want to grow old while running. I want to be faithful until the end. I'm telling you, I think too many of us don't burn out, we rust out. We need to run with endurance. Be zealous in living for the Lord. So don't lag behind in diligence. Run hard. Number four, be fervent in spirit. This instruction is pretty similar to lagging behind in diligence, not lagging behind in diligence, except that it deals not just with actions, but with our hearts. See, there's this danger that I'm going to run and run and run and think that I'm running the race in my own strength or think that I'm just doing it for the sake of doing it. This deals with not just action, but our hearts. You see, it's possible to be diligent, but not fervent in spirit. The literal literal translation for the word fervent here is to boil over. And it means intensely passionate. Paul wants us to love one another with enthusiasm. Run! Love one another. Love one another intently. Be diligent in that. And do it in such a way that it's because you're boiling over inside. You can't help but love one another. You're eager to do so. We need to be diligent because as we are, our enthusiasm has an opportunity to grow. And it's only as we remember the gospel that we will be able to do that. It's only as we remember the gospel that we will be motivated. For me to stand up here and say, run, 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 that is discouraging. You're going to grow weary. You're going to get tired. But if I can point to, and if I can point myself to, what Christ has done, what Christ has done, what Christ has done, you're going to be motivated to run. I can tell you, you know, your neighbors are lost. 3% of this state's evangelical. Something like that. Less than 3%. That most people that you see today are dying and going to hell. That if you're a Christian, if you believe what the Bible says... That's what you believe. So don't believe this nonsense you read in the obituaries or the things you hear from your friends. Oh, they're in a better place now. No, they're not. They're dying and they're dead and they are now in hell for eternity. Facing a Christless eternity in a place called hell. And we lull ourselves into this slumber thinking that, oh, it's okay if we just say these platitudes... So instead of me saying, you need to rescue, you need to rescue, you need to rescue those people, if I point you to what Christ has done for you, I believe with all my heart that you'll run out those doors, sound the alarm, and say, repent, for Christ has died for you. Trust in Christ and Christ alone, because you'll believe the gospel. You'll remember the gospel. We need to serve the Lord because He is worthy. So we need to be fervent, but then fifthly, we need to serve the Lord for He is worthy. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You see, this is important because if we think that loving one another as a body is about us caring for other people, and just because other people are worth caring for, it's not going to work out. We're going to lag behind in diligence. We're not going to be fervent in spirit because the people of this church will disappoint you. They're going to continue to disappoint. I'm going to continue to disappoint you. You may be thinking, Pastor, you preach this sermon about loving one another and you don't even love me. And you know what? I I don't always. And I need to grow in that. These are all things we need to work on that we need to grow in as we remember the Gospel. And the only way you're going to maintain that motivation is to serve the Lord, not serve the church. If you're serving the church, if you put money in this plate, by the way, And you gave it to the church, you can have it back at the end of the service, right? Because you're not giving to the church, you're giving to God. That you're serving Him and you're serving others through serving Him, yes. But our motivation needs to be in serving the Lord because others will disappoint us and then we'll say things like, well, I'm not serving them again. All right, you know, I tried that and they don't, nobody wants that. When in reality, we should be living for God's glory because He is worthy. When we serve His people, we are serving Him. So, sixthly, we need to rejoice in hope. Number six, rejoice in hope. The term hope, as we've said many times, doesn't refer to wishful thinking, but instead, it's a living hope. It's a hope that is an assurance of things hoped for. Of things unseen. Both Paul and Peter, if you read 1 Peter 1, Paul talks about the blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Both Paul and Peter knew what it was to rejoice in hope and the importance that hope plays in the life of the believer. Therefore, we're called to help each other rejoice in hope. Loving each other is pointing each other to the hope of Jesus Christ, even when times are hopeless or seemingly hopeless. So we rejoice in hope. Seventh, we need to persevere in tribulation. The Bible regularly speaks to the fact that believers will face tribulation, will face trouble, and we're called to persevere. It shouldn't come as a surprise that we would be told to persevere in the midst of tribulation here in Romans. Nor should it come as a surprise that Paul would speak to this issue specifically when talking about loving one another see, the author of Hebrews speaks of the need to encourage one another and to persevere when he says, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away, that fails to persevere. But instead, he says, encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end, if we persevere. You see, we need to help each other persevere in the midst of difficulty. That when difficult times come and we can't walk anymore, I need you to carry me. And you need to be carried. We need to bear one another's burdens. That's what we're called to do. Help one another persevere in the midst of difficult times. By the way, don't wait for you to have a difficult time and then go, the church isn't helping me. church isn't helping me persevere. Instead, ask yourself, who needs help right now? Who is in tribulation? Who needs help? And how am I helping them? Number eight, be devoted to prayer. Paul says, be devoted to prayer. The call to a devoted prayer life doesn't get much clearer than this. Just like every instruction given here, it's both individual and to the body as a whole. When we consider this command as it relates to loving one another, it's apparent that we're not just called to pray for one another, but we're to help each other grow in our prayer life. Just as Paul said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be be made known to God. And let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Just as he said that, so also we must come alongside each other and say, Don't be anxious. I know you're going through hard times. I know that life is hard. I know that you need to grow in holiness, but don't be anxious. Instead, let's pray. We need to pray for one another, church. Nine, we need to contribute to the needs of the saints. This should go without saying. We see again and again in Scripture, Acts 2, where people began selling their possessions and giving to anyone who might have need. The church has a responsibility to those who are in need to help them meet that need. The focus is not on what needs are legitimate and what needs are not, though there are passages that deal with that issue. That's not the focus here. The focus here is on the willingness to contribute. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those guys who's like, well, is it a real need? Right? I, I, I lean way too far to that end of the spectrum. And I need to lean in to being more generous and saying I need to contribute to the needs of the saints. And ultimately, when somebody presents a need that's not a real need, and if I give to it, shame on them. Right? If they waste it, shame on them. But my reward will be received. And I need to be much, more, much less cautious and much more generous. We are called to contribute to the needs of the saints. While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of the faith. Because that's the way genuine love lives. And then 10. We need to practice hospitality. This term hospitality means a love for strangers. It is the qualification for elders that is most often overlooked. That an elder, a pastor, must be hospitable. He must be willing to love strangers. He must have a love for strangers. And don't think that this applies to just pastors, by the way, because it's said here. And often we think of being hospitable as opening up our homes to our friends. Right? That Being hospitable means, oh, I get to invite the baddies over for a spaghetti tonight. It's, oh, it's loving strangers. So being hospitable does involve opening up my home to the baddies or to whoever, right? But it's a great deal more than that. We can and should show hospitality by welcoming new visitors here on Sunday morning. We should be hospitable to new visitors. We should open up our homes for a meal. I would encourage all of you, when you make your Sunday meal, especially those of you who live so close by, I long for this, right? having lived so far away. Put, when you put your meal in a crock pot on Sunday morning, put in extra. Make a double meal and then say, hey, to somebody who's visiting or somebody who's new or somebody you don't know, somebody you don't know real well in the church, say, hey, you want to come over for lunch? I'd love to have you. We've got extra food. It's already cooking. Right? And put it in a crock pot because you, you never know how long I'm going to go. M- but make sure, make sure you make extra food. Make sure you open your homes. Make sure you love strangers. That's what we are called to do as a church. So practicing hospitality is looking for and seeking opportunity to do these things. And you may say, but I don't have the gift of hospitality. Well, maybe you don't, but the command is still there. Right, so practice it. It may not be as natural for you as it is for others, so you have to practice more. So practice more. Genuine love requires knowing people, and that's what all of these things are pointing to. How are you gonna care for people's needs? How are you you gonna pray for people and encourage them in their prayer life? How are you gonna practice hospitality? How are you going to help them be fervent in spirit, boiling over? How are you going to help them run the race with endurance? How are you going to help them serve the Lord? How are we going to do these things if we don't know the people? We need to be willing to practice hospitality, to be open to strangers. We're called to grow in our love for each other. I grew up, there was a convenience store down the street from me, and it was called the Friendly Stop, and their motto was, We're not strangers, we're just friends who haven't met. And I've often thought that's a great slogan for a church, right? That that's the way we're called to live. We're called to do this thing called body life. That when somebody becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, they become connected to the family, the broader family of God. And there's this little family, this local assembly called Harmony Bible Church, that we're called to live out these things together. So we have this responsibility to the church, if you will. But the responsibility is not to this organization. It's to the people. And we're called to love the people. We're called to love the church and help her pursue holiness. And the only way we will do this, folks, is by remembering Christ's love for us and living in light of that love as the body of Christ. The only way we'll remember or be able to do that is to remember what God has accomplished to remember Romans 1-11, through the glorious Gospel of Christ. And as we lift up the glorious Gospel of Christ, we're called to live that out with each other and to love each other like Christ loved us. And by that, men will know that we are His disciples. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. God, I thank You for Your grace and I pray that You would be with us God, help us to apply the practical steps necessary to live out these things. God, give us wisdom in knowing how as individuals we may do that, whether that be small group, Sunday school, calling up others in the church and inviting them out for coffee, whether it be through setting aside time to show up early on Sunday morning and greet others and pray with others and care for others. Whether it be opening up our homes and getting to know each other. Whether it be making phone calls throughout the week. God, even as I pray these things, God, I know that you're calling us to do all of these things and help us to do them well. Help us to, as a body, collectively love one another the way you've called us to. God, help us to be lovable. God, give us the grace we need to not hide inside our own shell, but to put ourselves out there, recognizing that every bit as, the, as much as the church needs us, we need the church. God, help us to love Your bride and to help her pursue holiness. God, give us a view of the Gospel that is greater than we ever imagine before. Help us to love your Son Jesus more day by day and in turn, love others. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.